Welcome to episode number 202 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst, and CXO Talk brings together the most interesting, innovative business people in the world to discuss disruptive ideas and the impact of technology on the organization. Today, I'm speaking with Oliver Bussman, and we're going to talk about blockchain. We're going to talk about fintech startups, and we will talk about financial services. I've known Oliver for many years. He is a superstar chief innovation officer, and he's now advising large financial institutions on these innovative topics. Oliver Bussman, how are you? Good. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be back, and uh, uh, um, thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, Oliver, it's great to see you here on CXO Talk once again. The last time we spoke, you were the, the global CIO for UBS Bank, which, of course, is one of the largest financial institutions in the world. Since then, you have formed your own advisory firm. And yeah. tell us about your focus. Tell us about what you're doing. Yeah, I'm helping uh, financial service companies uh, high-tech firms, um, IT firms to stay ahead of the digital disruption curve because the, the industry, especially the financial service industry, is going to a lot of disruption, helping them to identify those um, mega trends, impact, help them to do the orchestration, orchestration meaning uh, managing the innovation from research, identifying what are the priorities for our company, how to uh, do the ideation, how to invest in certain ideas, test drive them and integrate them in their normal product and lifecycle management, um, helping uh, uh, to do the orchestration and, and, and get them, help them closer to the fintech ecosystem, which is a lot of startups, uh, government, university, uh, research institutes. So it needs an orchestration like in other industry and uh, uh, leveraging my experience over the last 25 years in the high-tech industry and then also in the financial services industry. So when we talk about financial services, what what does that encompass? No, it's a, it's a wide range, uh, uh, different sectors. You know, I've been through all sectors in the last twenty five years. That's my uh, uh, one of my my uh, experiences. Benefits is you know from insurances, uh, life, PNC, property and culture uh, insurances to uh, all sectors of uh, of a bank from asset management retail and institutional asset management to um, the retail banking business, helping the consumer banking business to the wealth management, the high networks, ultra high networks to serve them to the capital market, corporate banking, um, uh, commercial banking, etc. So it's a, it's a, it's a wide range of, of uh, lines of businesses, different needs, different, uh, uh, different uh, level of development over the last few years from a maturity level perspective. And, uh, um, it's, 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 I would say the industry is in the middle of a major big change here. And what are the changes that are, that are taking place in financial services right now? We're all exposed, of course, to online yeah. banking, but it goes much deeper and much farther than that. Yeah, it's, 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 it's multiple dimension that, uh, you know, a financial institution has to cope with, uh, right now. It's, it's, it's definitely after the financial crisis 2008-2009 is the amount of regulation is significant, I would say. Uh, 
that to protect the consumers after 2000, 2009, a lot of new regulation in all jurisdictions put a lot of effort and you know, controls, risk management, compliance to avoid any misconduct in the future. And um, to give you data points, um, uh, today, usually large players invest between 50 and 60% of their IT investment, change the bank, just to stay in line with the regulatory requirements. That is significant higher um, uh, over the last, went up over the last three, four years and, and, and absorb of a lot of uh, potential investments that you need for new services, new products to implement, improve certain customer services. That is now absorbed by, 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 by the regulatory requirements. And uh, there is definitely also then the push for standard software because you, if you have a global business, you have to stay in line with those uh, local requirements, regulatory requirements. So the regulation is a, a piece which will stay. Uh, I don't see that, that that amount of investment required will come down. The second is definitely uh, consumer behaviors. Um, you know, the millennium say everybody has a different preference now to access information, making decisions. Now there's a there's a different different patterns. Now the the generation that is now becoming high networks, they have they they won't go to the branch anymore. They want to talk to their financial advisor over the phone or video. They want to have um, automated um, information. Um, the decision making processes differently. So so the the consumer preference how they get like to be served is there is there is a middle of a big change. Uh, the, the third third dimension is new technology. Uh, you know, we are, we are going to another major change, um, even bigger than the internet uh, uh, bubble, the first one, 2000, 2002. Uh, there's significant venture capital and capital and resources coming into the whole innovation, the startup community. You know, I started at, at UBS a few years ago. The, the VC spend, venture capital spend, was at that time 3 billion US dollars. That number is from 2013 up to 2015, up to 20 billion. And the, pro the, the projection for this year, this will even go up maybe to 24, 25 billion. Um, so that short, short period of time, and if you compare that with um, the internet investments 20 years ago, there was 500 million uh, in 1995 spent on innovation in you know, internet-related companies. You see the amount of... of of, of resources and capital coming into um, the environment. And then from a macroeconomic perspective is, yeah, there is significant pressure on banks, especially European banks, because um, um, there is limited growth opportunity. So there is, so if you don't, cannot grow because interest rates are low, um, and the transaction volume uh, is also because in the, in the market of uncertainty is low. So with the revenue pressure, the pressure even on the, the cost side is going up significantly. Cost side meaning uh, 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 your cost income ratio is under pressure compared to U.S. banks. U.S. banks are at 55% of your cost versus revenue. Most of the European banks are over 70%. So there's a significant uh, pressure on those banks to be very careful to reduce your operating expenses, which has also an impact on potential investments going forward. So it is, it, it is a constrained and stressed environment, uh, and, and the new technology is, is even triggering, um, from my perspective, even, uh, even, uh, even bigger, significant change. So the, so, so the financial services industry is changing because of 
regulation. Then you have a, 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 an economic environment which is putting tremendous stress because the banks uh, have, in some cases, negative interest rates. Yeah. So, the, so you deposit money with a bank yeah. and the bank loses money on that. And at the same time, you have consumer expectations that are increasing. They want greater flexibility. They want tools. They want the bank to invest in different type of relationship. And then you have technologies that are enabling a whole new set of competitors. So is that, is that a reasonable summary of what's going on? Yeah, I think we're going to a major storm here uh, from my perspective and um, which change, will change also the, the banking structure, the strength, uh, structure of the industry, the market structure, uh, um, because um, uh, there's a belief that business models will change. Business model that banks have to think about what kind of business model they want to play with or be in, be in. That means there's a discussion about uh, banks will focus on the client relationship and advisory role and uh, will be open for product providers like Blackstone is uh, 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 a product provider. They're integrating them. And then there will be transaction champion that they are able to, with large scale, to process the amount of, of information, et cetera, to uh, leverage the economy of scale. So there, is a, there, there could be a different market uh, um, structure going forward. And, and then you have to think about how you... Um, now you want to play because, for example, if you want to integrate different product supplies, it means an open architecture, open APIs. You uh, you have to integrate different um, other suppliers, and uh, that has an impact on the way how you operate and how you drive your your um, uh, your application, your your architecture. So this intersection of the changing consumer expectations, combined with shifts in technology. And therefore, the emergence of new business models is, is very fascinating. So, so can you elaborate on how these three, how, how changing expectations of consumers and how the shifting technology forces uh, the banks to change? Why, why does that take place? Yeah, first of all, I think as a consumer, you you're already um, have a different user ex experience already today in other industries huh? to, you know, from a music perspective, e-commerce, and you apply the same, same expectation now um, um, also towards the banks. And um, they are now coming out of the fintech community um, at new service offerings. And, and um, what, what we see, what I see is that, first of all, uh, startups um, going after uh, a portion of the value chain. So they're not going to replace the entire retail bank. Uh, they're focusing on part of the value chain from the payment area, lending, uh, the, in the whole investment, uh, 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 the investment management perspective, then the whole crowdfunding, providing capital. Uh, those are major areas of, of disruption that, that uh, startups will pick one portion of that value chain try to leverage new technology, technology you know, from mobile, um, from uh, uh, artificial intelligence perspective, um, try to digitalize that piece as much as possible and try to also provide a different, or a different user experience. So everything should be accessible over the web, internet, and, and those startups try to, like in the robot advisory business, a business that um, is now um, going after a retail customer that usually they're not getting um, um, sophisticated investment advice. 
and those road advisors uh, are able to consolidate your assets across different banks. Usually a family office, very sophisticated, does that. And now they do this in an automated fashion. So you have everything in one place. And then based on your risk profile, based on your um, desire uh, to what kind of uh, return you want to see, they see if your portfolio structure the right one and then provide information how to rebalance that. And so that the whole user experience to do account aggregation, advice, and then provide information alerts over the time. Um, and then the potential next generation of robot advisor embracing artificial intelligence to run their quantitative models, how to see the market will play out and based on signals, based on their, their due rebalancing of the portfolio that usually achieve really really well-educated and experienced chief in, uh, in, uh, investment officer will drive your portfolio composition, will leverage more technology going forward to drive up performance. So right now it's more convenience, easy of easy doing of business. And over time, this new technology like artificial intelligence, you will see even the investment performance could be heavily driven by uh, engineers, scientists that have a better understanding about how the market is reacting and try to understand the drivers and, and model them in your quantitative model. So, so the entire business is getting disrupted. And this, this is now happening in the payment business and retail business. It's happening in, in how you get your credits and loans in the lending business, how you do provide capital for SMEs or small businesses or startups uh, from a crowdfunding perspective. So there is a significant um, uh, uh, activities out there, and 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 from that perspective, uh, 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 it will is already changing how you do business today. And and banks now try to work with with startups, and startups also right. try to uh, partner a partner, um, which was not always the case a few years ago. So and I think this this collaboration model is now mm -hmm. now coming more and more to uh, uh, to play. Now, some of the technologies you mentioned, but we all hear about blockchain. And of course, that's not the only technology that's changing banking yeah. and financial services. But tell us about blockchain. For, for those of us who don't know, just give us a very brief introduction. What is blockchain and why is it so important? Yeah, 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 and that's it's for me. It's 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 a great experience uh, in in discovering the blockchain uh, technology in an early early stage. It's it's remember uh, Michael, we've been through the mobile enterprise maybe six seven years ago that you know consumer devices in the mobile space came up, and then uh, and then at that time at SAP we realized that it will have a significant play in the enterprise too. So so this you learn over time to discover those mega trends and 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 see. An early stage, the potential, and then put the the best team on that small team to just explore, to understand, and then uh, uh, be become a, a leader in, in those kind of areas that happened during my time in the SAP. Very successful, uh, embracing mobile devices and tablets early stages application, and then also here, let me share the story happened to me also that I discovered uh, or we discovered that blockchain. Uh, uh, this is a significant role because we got approached by uh, uh, an entrepreneur in, in Switzerland that um, uh, approached us and saying, you know, we can do uh, FX trading, foreign exchange trading online, and we settle everything in real time. 
And usually if you do uh, stock trading, it takes at least two, three days to first settle. Uh, that exchange of cash and, and the security takes time. And this immediately, um, you know, bold statement, we can do this uh, in, in, in a few seconds, and everything is settled and the cost of doing a business will be low, plus the, the, the real-time uh, execution reduce operation risk, risk capital will come down. And then we said, hmm, that, that could be, it's hard to believe. And then we discovered that, that um, you know, that the underlying technology of Bitcoin, the blockchain, is the key driver because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a no-no for most of the banks. And still, you know, Bitcoin with their reputation to even discover that and discuss that. And then we discovered that, that the blockchain technology based on, on, the, on, on, on Bitcoin at the end is, is a major simplification of our business. And let me explain a comparison is today, if you do a trade, it goes to different parties. You sell something, they have a buyer and there is the, the different banks in place, stock exchange, clearing houses. I would say between at least almost 10 parties involved and they have to reconcile, uh, raise my business. They have to exchange messages and raise my cash, raise my security. Is it on the right way? They have to reconcile. Um, it's a major effort to do that. And, and blockchain at the end, in a very simple way, is you store information uh, over the internet that the involved party can point to. It's almost like a reference, a database reference that points to. And there's a mechanism that if you do a transaction, it's, it's first of all locked and it's, it's recorded. You cannot manipulate that. Plus, there is, an, is a, there, there is a software at the end making sure that um, this transaction only is unique verifies that so if you don't need a third party to verify your transaction the, the software is doing that so that that business logic is part of that uh, ledger and at the end uh, the whole messaging goes away you have a direct impact certain part is not any more necessary and and so complexity goes away you the speed of doing business is going away plus the access, accessibility you know blockchain and bitcoin is public ledger at the end um, make it easy to access that information from everywhere because it's not anymore stored behind firewalls. It's, it's accessible for the different marketplace and there's encryption in place to make sure that only the relevant parties have access. So it's a, it's a, it's a game changer from my perspective and game changer not only for the financial service uh, industry, for insurance, for trade finance. You see this also for the Internet of Things. Now you have a lot of information, sensor of information, and what you do, there must be, you know, if certain events take happen, then there should be uh, like a smart contract that you can action on that. You know, it's like you have sensor, sensors in your fridge and the fridge is empty. What do you do then? Huh? And there should be a clear definition. If those kind of events are coming in triggered, then you do certain, mm -hmm. you buy something online immediately. Huh? So that that technology and this is the reason why certain high-tech firms like IBM for example and other firms see this as a combination from blockchain and IT building dedicated businesses to make it happen so what I'm saying is uh, it is like the internet 20 years ago a game changer that uh, is is has a major impact on the financial service industry and I believe also in government, healthcare, supply chain management. Every time if you have multiple parties involved and their needs be synchronized, that's the way going forward. Are there examples of uh, banks 
or other large organizations that are using blockchain in a yeah. meaningful way today, or is it too early yet? No, I think that you see uh, you see uh, the first use cases um, coming up. Uh, use cases the um, like uh, in general in in the fintech area, the payment area is 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 um, uh, is, a, is a is a target uh, segment because payment there, there is uh, the business is profitable. There's a lot of profit uh, profit pools. There's a need to simplify that from a user experience perspective. And the, the use case that I think will come through at an earlier stage is the cross-border payment. Uh, it's, it's complicated because you have to go through a lot of uh, banks, central banks, to do those cross-border payments for retail and institutional clients. It takes time. And um, it's an average, roughly, you pay $25 for an international transaction. Um, and 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 parties like Ripple, for example, other ledger providers, they will simp they already simplify that, and there is a consortium of six banks working on that. Um, that they're using already the technology for their cross-border business within the bank. The next step is they build a network to exchange those transactions, and the infrastructure will be simplified with that. Speed is different, and then also the cost to market because. The projection is that a transaction that will cost today $25 will come down to less than a dollar. And wow, that's, amazing. That's, a that's, that's exactly, that's an exactly is, 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 is a major change that will drive that. Because if you're an institutional, if you're corporate, corporate and doing uh, international business, and you sit on stage with your corresponding bank and say, you know, I'm paying $25 on average, Domestically, I'm paying less a dollar. There is a clear demand to bring it down below that. So, but then you understand the revenue is coming down. Banks that are able, early mover and adapting will have a chance to get more market share. So if you're not part of the train, it could hurt you significantly. We have a question from Arsalan Khan on, uh, Twitter, and he asks a really interesting question. He says, what about uh, the ability of these financial institutions to absorb new technologies and changes created, business models and so forth, created, created by technologies such as Bitcoin? What about that? It's a really think, big deal. I, I think, first of all, um, because these changes will not go away. So the fintech, fintech changes, new, new technology coming up, new services. So as a bank, you have to prepare yourself for that. Uh, and it's, it's almost like you establish an R&D process, which I did at SAP and then also at, at UBS, to um, uh, do this, it almost institutionalizes that it's your day-to-day -day job to understand, you know, what are the new technology, new trends in the business, in, the, in those markets, Number two, to see what's your own priority and define what is your, your focus area. Is it an appearing area? Is it in scoring? Is it in, in, uh, in investment management, et cetera? And then, then you help the business as, as a CIO uh, how to develop ideas. Uh, it's all about is, is, is what kind of ideas can be, leveraged, can be built on those new technology. Then you do a competition like a VC fund and help them. The best idea should be test drive in a lab or in an accelerator, an incubator. You have different to do. And then based on that, you see 
um, um, uh, is there an impact on your product and service lifecycle? So at the end, the the the, the, the organization are have to get closer to that ecosystem of startups, regulators, etc. Expand the the area of your solution space, no? Because if you if you have limited visibility, what's going on in that space, you start just do incremental changes. And in the moment you have a view on what's possible is, and if you provide an environment that you can, I would not say play, but test drive and understand you know, and expand your productivity and how this could influence your own product portfolio, new products, how existing products can be evolved, et cetera. That is a competitive advantage, but it needs, based on my experiences, orchestration, it needs clear um, uh, and working environment that's allowed to fail. Failure is important. Uh, and then the best ideas, like in the venture capital, the best bets uh, will take off and, and will have a significant contribution. Right? So I, what I'm saying to you is it doesn't help you if you have a fancy lab. Is The business has to be there. There has to be a clear way how you do R&D, like uh, pharmaceutical, like other industries too, as part of their significant R&D investment. But how does a bank, how does, or this, this would be true of any large organization, how can they uh, organize themselves to remove or put aside, and I'll, I'll say this, there's, there's a, a big company kind of arrogance sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, you know, we're the large company and we know best. And so why should we listen to that tiny little startup that's, you know, in a proverbial garage. So how does a big company overcome that kind of attitude in order to really get the benefit of the innovation relationship that you're describing with startups? No, I think, I think first of all, it needs um, that you spend time uh, uh, with the community, the ecosystem community. Uh, my experience is, is the, the, the biggest impact that you have is if you bring the executive uh, team into those startups, and give them full insight how how um, uh, their service offering will hit you maybe today or the next few years. So, I'll give an example: if if you if you if you go to these investment advisors, these automated ones, world advisors, and then if you understand how they try to generate leads, how they manage a lead and convert into a customer, how they serve those ones what different roles they have, what kind of tools they have. You, today you would say, mm, it doesn't hit my business, my, 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 my high networks, ultra high network business. But you know, the, the average age of those um, high um, core effluent customers are 40, 42. And you, know, you can set up the clock that they become high network customer with a million and more assets in two, three, four years. But then they have a clear preference how they get served. And, and, and so you can already imagine that the way how you provide services over time, they will get there. Sure, they have to get more sophisticated products and the lending business um, and, and, and portfolio compensation, et cetera. That's clear. And, and, but what I'm saying is um, you can see that the way how they serve clients uh, uh, is is for the for their customer base and that customer base will grow. Um, it's a major change. So that it's it's very interesting. So the so the client relationship seems to be a fundamental factor 
in this in this transition and underlying the the both the change in business models as well as the relationship that a large organization like a bank might have with a startup. So that client relationship seems to be the constant driving force or one of the constant driving forces. Yeah, exactly. Because the generation that, you know, um, sticking to the wealthy, uh, potential wealthy clients going forward, you know, they're used to leverage technology as a consumer to the maximum. You organize your life around apps that helps you to, to organize your day-to-day -day life. So that's the expectation also going forward is that the way how you get access to financial services, to products, et cetera, has to be also well integrated in, in your day-to-day -day life and should be accessible, consumable, uh, easy to make decision that you use to also another in, in the e-commerce business. And so the, and you're absolutely spot on that change of, of preferences and uh, customer experiences and expectation at the end has a major impact uh, in the customer interface. So customer experience is important. Uh, and then also um, uh, the level of automation. Also, if you, if you, for example, go to a branch today and there's a big change, if you want to open up an account, uh, the future is, and it's already happened in, in certain countries, that you can do even video onboarding. No? You call in, they check your passport, et cetera, and other ways, biometrics, and, and, and you can open an account in a few minutes instead of days, no? and, and effort is slow. Then the next, next big wave will, will come um, with the, the legalization in Europe, with the, it's called PSD2, as a payment uh, directive, that um, allows uh, the consumer uh, also give access to third party to your accounts. Now, in, in the US, it's, it's almost standard with Yodley. They have access to, if you use those services, access to your different bank accounts. So what happened in the next, starting 2018, there will be more transparency. Transparency, how is your, your different accounts, different banks uh, performing from a cost perspective, from a, a portfolio performance perspective. So the the level of transparency, because those those interfaces will be then open, and and comparison portal that you see already in traveling and in other services will have access then also to your banking business, and then you have a different benchmark how well you're performing compared to other banks, and and then if the the, the ability to change your banking relationship is then also being simplified relationship that are out there for 12, 20 years in average could change because the level of transparency and the easy view of doing a business and changes will, will trigger um, um, yeah, a, a change of customer behaviors. Arsalan Khan from Twitter, again, has another really interesting point. So when you talk about technology and the tech, it's the combination of the, as you said earlier, the technology, government regulation, and consumer behavior and expectations yeah. that are driving these changes in financial services. So inside these banks, how does it work? For example, you, you were a, a CIO in your several, a number of times in very large organizations. And so what's the relationship between the technology folks and the business folks and IT, and how does that all get sorted out in the in the right way? What's the what's the right way to handle that? 
No, I think what what you do is um, uh, first of all, my experience is, is you you have to uh, align um, the, the business agenda. I mean, you know, where they want to be in the next few years uh, with whatever you do on the IT side. So you you cannot run your IT planning decoupled from uh, what the business is planning for the next few years. So alignment of what's the business strategy, what what is expected what kind of capability you need to be successful and then identify, identify where are the white spots or where are the spots of complexity and then mirror this into your IT strategy and plans is absolutely necessary. Number two is, is the speed of change and the different speed levels. Um, you know, if you, if you, everything, you know, customer related, customer touch points, Second area is that you have a differentiated uh, uh, added value services with uh, IP, intellectual property. You try to spend more time with IT and business resources together in an agile, more closely relationship, and you try to do this in a more fast-moving, uh, agile way. The, the, the normal, you know, Heavy lifting is more in a, in a, in a factory, in a, in, in a standard way. So there are different speed levels, how you embrace the change you know, on the customer interface side, on the side that differs you, that drives revenue, and there are uh, the, you know, the normal activities. So, that, so what I'm saying is alignment of where's the target state, where's, what does success mean, and then also the way how you collaborate uh, from the day-to-day a portfolio perspective is 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 absolutely required to make sure that that you're not working in in, a, in an isolated way or decoupled from uh, from each other. What are the characteristics of organizations that do this well? Because in theory, what you're saying mm-hmm. obviously is right, but it seems that many companies have an extremely difficult time doing this. Yeah, it's 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 needs needs starting. You know, um, um, <laughs> for me is that starting from a from a midterm planning perspective, that the the the, the business strategy and business development um, organization is very close to business and the IT organization. So you don't do separate planning uh, between the two organizations, and you bring this to an organized, coordinated effort and and do a cross checks. Is it is is it is it, is it really, are those parties in sync? Now, that has an impact on the financials, et cetera. So th- there's some that are companies out there that is doing well. And, um, and that's my experiences is uh, uh, you need this kind of dialogue on a regular basis. And that should be reflected in the way how you do plan and how you build your portfolio. Is that fundamental to the job responsibility of a CIO to be able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you just do your IT plan in an isolated way, um, uh, yes, you can drive impact. But the the impact that I you know successful CIOs measured by is how's the business impact, how the company is doing from a revenue, from efficiency point of view, from a security and and uh, from a risk perspective. That's a that's a measure. Uh, the second is yeah, I believe also um, the CIO has to be champion also for innovation. Uh, and, and innovation in a way that um, 
you become a, a, a really expert what's what's from a technology perspective is available out there you 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 are a facilitator how you bring the business closer to that startup community for example and 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 help them to embrace those kind of possibilities so because i i i'm a, i'm i'm a strong believer that the business has to embrace and 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 be in the, in the driver's seat because at the end if that knowledge is in with the business in as a product owner a service owner that is the highest maturity level if if it's just in it what's possible then uh you do this in your own governance for your infrastructure whatever is under your control but in the moment it crosses the business line uh you will have a hard time to get buy in and support so my preference is is being an invasion champion and facilitator but you know business ownership uh, you help them to to uh build up those kind of capabilities we have just about 5 minutes or so left and what about on the business side i'm i i'm very interested in your advice for uh how companies can take best advantage of strategic IT. Again, my point of view is that for many organizations they want to do this, but the relationship is very is, is quite dysfunctional. Yeah, I think I think you you're right. I think it's, first of all as has to you, you have to look at this as it's a partner. No? Because the 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 you know, if you look at certain banks like Goldman, they have a significant spend of or a portion of their operating spend is IT. and so they believe they are a tech company and i i think that that's the direction that the industry is going so you believe that your critical success factor is technology so that okay. that's that's for me the fundamental belief and that means also as a as a an ex business executive you you have to invest time and you have to be up to speed what's going on in that space you don't have to be a, become a tech expert but um what what is possible from a technology perspective is is um is absolutely clear and, and and necessary on the other side michael the risk is if you just only talk tech um you miss an opportunity to question your current business model because the worst case is you go for state of the art software and you've been through this with a lot of standard software players and if you don't spend enough time and you know what could look like how you do business how you operate what kind of complexity you can reduce the same way how you operate today the same complexity the same challenges will be mirrored on new software but you don't leverage you know what state of the art how you run business how you how you can leverage the benefits out of that so there is a frustration level if you go straight into tech implementation tech implementation that is just it is doing you need time with um, as a business leader to think about how my business will change um um how many you now can i reduce my booking centers is there a way new products will come up uh, is there a way to reduce complexity from a process product client perspective and spend significant time on that to challenge this and then use this as design principles to implement new software and and if this kind of pre work is not there 
yeah, you, you see changes, you see benefits in, in, in using new technology, but you, you're not leveraged to that to the fullest extent. Uh, the, the, and that's something that I believe in the future, understanding uh, how to drive change, understanding you know, what is possible in the marketplace, spending time on that, and have a discussion on the executive board level, and then also on the board of directors level, is, is I, I believe, necessary, mandatory to be to stay competitive going forward. That's really interesting to look at the CIO role as a, 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 a foundational skill, so to speak, is, the, is understanding how to drive change. Yeah. Make, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. What about the, uh, again, we have just a few minutes left, but uh, while, you, while you're here, I want to really pick your brain on some of these topics. Uh, so what about the relationship between CIO and titles like chief digital officer? How does that play out? No, from from my you know I've been through um, sort of some different different companies etc. Chief digital officer and, and the chief information officer they have to work together. It's they're they're, they're depending on each other, um, and and I believe if you if you're chief digital officer and believe that you can do the change without IT, it will be very very hard. If you have um, uh, somebody uh, like a chief technician officer that understand the business processes, the business going, etc. And and as an IT hat, if you can leverage that, that's a that's a perfect spot that you want to be in. So my my recommendation is definitely you have to look at this as a partnership. If you run this in an isolated way, um, it will fail. And uh, changing gears here, but just as again we drive towards the end, changing gears. What advice do you have for startups who want to do business with larger financial services, or banks, insurance companies, what have you? No, I think I, 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 that's a very good question, first of all, because uh, I got this um, a lot because I do mentorship, I mentor um, startups. So I'm, I'm part of the Level 39 um, FinTech Accelerator in London and spending time with, um, with, the, uh, with the startups there and give them advice. And um, my, 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 my first advice is, um, yes, good understanding about the technology is important, but business domain expertise is critical. So, so if you talk to bankers, if you don't understand how the business is working, products, processes, et cetera, if you don't have that expertise, um, there's a communication breakdown. Uh, because you talk tech versus how this could help my business to improve and 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 finding that 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 the mixture that you need sure absolute tech engineers scientists but also building that expertise is 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 a critical success factor that's my my number one advice that i did also in financial times or financial news um articles that i believe domain expertise because it helps you to sharpen your value proposition what's different why why should i work with you and you have maybe i would say 20 30 seconds time if you approach a business executive to convince him to spend more time with you and it's all about how does it fit or is that from a business term perspective business language perspective what is the biggest value in working with a startup so for the startups uh you're you're saying Yes, you may have great technology, but you need to be able to talk about that technology yeah. in terms that the 
bank on the other side yeah. cares about. So yeah. maybe in terms of their customers or what have you, customer relations. Yeah, exactly. And this, and this is the reason why a lot of banks also UBS is very successful did open uh, innovation challenges and competition, inviting them. And the best best uh, startups, they get uh, mentorship or uh, training and how they can improve their value proposition, their business plans, etc. So it's not only a tech play, it's it's the way how you uh, position uh, uh, the foundation of, of, a, of a firm at the end that you work on and and how you manage the relationship with your clients. And uh, so so that's the reason why a lot of banks are investing in, in, in those startups or investing time and resources because it would be a mistake that you have a brilliant technical idea, technology idea, and you're not able to yeah convince your the other part, the customer that that will have a significant impact on uh, improvement potential for your business. I like that. No matter what the technology, it's not just a tech play. It's not a tech play. It's a communication like between me and you. It's between people, and it's it's a people business. And uh, uh, if you're able to communicate this, if you talk the same language, it's a sender receiver. You speak the same protocol. Then, then the, the the probability that somebody is supporting you and would like to work with you is pretty high. Well, and that for sure are uh, words of wisdom from Oliver Busman. Oliver, thank you very much for taking the time and speaking with us today. No, thanks so much for having me, and um, um, uh, thank you so much for the great discussion today. We have been talking with Oliver Busman, who previously was the uh, CIO of SAP and then the group CIO at UBS Bank, one of the largest financial institutions in the world, and today is advising financial services companies as well as startups on how to evolve together and work together. You have been watching episode number 202 of CXO Talk. You can check us out on the web at cxotalk.com and see our episodes at cxotalk.com slash episodes. We have two shows next week. Please join us. And a special thank you and shout out to Livestream because Livestream provides our video infrastructure and man, they are great. And I mean that. Thanks for watching and we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye.